close, close to your side. So heaven is real and death is a lie. I want to hear voices of angels above singing as one. Hallelujah, holy, holy, God Almighty, the great I am, who is worthy, is none beside me, God Almighty, the great Can we stand together and sing? Three campuses as one family, one body. 
What we're declaring today is that God is, not that He was, not only that He will be, but He is today. Where we are not, He is. Where we lack, He is all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-faithful. Amen? So with that in mind, as we stand before the great I Am, we're going to go back in this chorus, and I want you to declare it as, a, as an expression of worship, of acknowledging Him, of acknowledging His goodness and His greatness as we gather in His name today. Holy, holy God Almighty, the great I am, who is worthy, there's none beside thee, God Almighty, the great Father, we thank you so much for coming to meet with us. You've anticipated this moment even more than we have. And Lord, I ask that today you would speak, that you would do something amazing in each of our lives. God, the same voice that created heavens and earth and everything that's in them, Lord. Create in us your purposes, your plans. Lord, we come before you with faith, expectation, open hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. So good to be together today. In God's house, as uh, we have survived the apocalypse, and uh, we're all here in one piece. You know, we had actually, my name's Nathan, uh, not Nate, I'm Nathan, I'm the pastor at Maple Grove, thank you all four of you, and, uh, and it's great to be together at Elk River, at Maple Grove, and at Spring Lake Park, as we are gathering one church, multiple locations, and uh, let's send our greetings over to Maple Grove and Elk River, and give them a... Shout out love and an applause of affection. And it's so good to be able to be here, as uh, Pastor Ben Bright was saying. Pastor Nate has visited our Maple Grove uh, campus during first service, and he's visiting Elk River at, during this service. And I have the privilege of being able to, to uh, share God's word this morning with you. And today we had actually planned our Maple Grove picnic. And... Uh, Someone sinned, and uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but um, as I was looking at the Weather Channel, and you know, and they're pretty dramatic in how they present, uh, you know, what's coming up, the forecast. I was like, okay, we're gonna do it anyway. We're gonna do this picnic anyway, and we'll just tell people to bring like umbrellas and uh, and, and and rain boots. And then I thought. We're going to need to ask him to bring, like, water, uh, you know, to, to bring, like, some paddle boards or bring canoes or boats. And then as the hail started falling, I was like, they're going to bring, need to bring helmets and uh, shields. And 
So we decided we're going to postpone it. Pastor James has already given you the news over there. But uh, so good to be together today as we launch a new series, our summer series called The Book of Daniel. I want to uh, ask you to grab your bulletin real quick. And this is, it's an exciting thing that we've got going on throughout this summer. I love the Word of God, and I love the series that we're going to step into. And we've got some great resources uh, that our team has done an amazing job at putting into our hands. If you want to open that up, you get a listing of all the different uh, weeks where we're going to be studying through the book of Daniel. Uh, you got kind of a brief description of what to expect. If You know, summer is so short here in Minnesota, we anticipate that there may be a week or two where you're not able to, to be with us for worship. You can still catch up. Go online. You can watch the message. The, the notes will be, you'll be, be able to access them even right now through version. You can access them on, online as well. And uh, in the, on the, on the backside here of this, uh, I don't know what the proper name is for that. You know, this, this flap right here. Um, this one has notes that you can follow along as we're speaking in case you miss a specific reference of scripture. So feel free to, to take notes as we dive into God's Word today. Like I said, I'm excited about this series. I am so excited that I get made fun of a little bit by our team. Uh, it's been said that I might change my son's name after, because of uh, the book of Daniel, and maybe start calling him Daniel instead of Santiago, but don't worry. He's here with me, and he's shaking his head. He's like, no, I'm good with my name that I have now. Um, but the book of Daniel is filled with incredible stories. You might be familiar with some of them. You know, the Daniel on the lion's den, the writing on the wall, the, the furnace, the, you know, Daniel's friends, they make it out of the furnace of fire intact. There's, uh, you know, the, the, them deciding to, to fast and pray. Uh, there's, you know, the, the angels. There's, a, there's, you know, six chapters that are all full of narratives and then another few chapters, you know, chapter 7 through 12 that, that have uh, a lot of like apocalyptical uh, visions and and uh, we're going to talk about the end times during this series. So there's so many great things that we're going to look at. And, uh, and, and it might all seem so epic that it's distant from our regular, ordinary day lives. But the reality is this book, the book of Daniel, covers a span of about 70 years. Not every day was an epic day. But the reality is that epic moments are built on a foundation of steadiness during years filled with ordinary days. So the fact that today is a regular ordinary day does not mean that God is not at work, that he is less God than on the epic days. How many say amen to that? God is preparing us. He's leading us to position us for those moments, and we are going to experience some great things as we study his word and as his word works in us. Now, as we go to uh, the book of, of Daniel, we need to realize it's not just a compilation of ancient stories. It's not fables. It's a true account of what God did, and it's his current voice for us today as we live out his present day narrative for us. He is writing the story of our lives, and he is leading us. He's speaking to us through the word. Amen? So as you grab your Bibles, uh, I want to just uh, invite you to look at Daniel chapter 1. We're going to turn there, and we're going to dive in to what God has to say. Remember, as we go through um, the book of Daniel, you know, if you uh, also, there's great resources on Right Now Media. Uh, Larry Osborne, pastor on the West Coast, has a series of messages and videos that, that, that also focus on the same book called Thriving in Babylon, so I want to encourage you to make use of that. 
My son, uh, Santi, and my daughter Zoe, he's 12, she's 9. Every morning as we've uh, gone to school, now they're out of school, but we do this thing where we do a daily devotion with the, with the U version verse of the day. How many of you guys are familiar with that, right? And, uh, and it's like a, a, a verse that's, that shows up, and uh, you're prompted to look at it, and then we talk about it, and we pray about that verse, and we uh, remember it in the evening. And uh, just recently, my son said, um, do you think, like one of the apostles, when, when uh, something they wrote shows up in, in U version, do you think they're like, yes, I made the verse of the day? And uh, I love his fresh uh, insight and outlook on, on reading God's word, you know. But the, the reality is, um, you know what, and we talked about it. They probably didn't know they were writing the Bible, but all God's word is inspired. It's useful. It's practical for today, for where we're at. Let's go to Daniel. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took back to the land of Babylonia and placed, took these objects back and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Notice that this is kind of a tragic moment that's being described. The people of God, the, the, the capital of God's people in Jerusalem has been sieged, besieged during three months and, uh, and now what's happened is Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful emperor at that time, has finally broken through and he's taken them captive. And what it says here is that this did not catch God off guard. It says God allowed these vessels to be taken captive. He allowed certain things to happen. And you know, this is, this is a hard thing for us to wrap our mind around because often when we experience uh, difficulties or turbulence in life, or we experience things turning out different than what we had anticipated, we start to question and doubt our faith. We question our belief. We doubt even God's sovereignty. We doubt God's love and his goodness towards us. And we use our current comfort as the gauge for measuring God's love towards us. But that's wrong. That's a wrong way of looking at life. God has established a, a, a principle for humanity of sowing and reaping. And what happens in this story is they've repeatedly resisted God and they've turned their back on God. And now they are reaping the consequences of their own rebellion and their own decisions. Now, as we, as we look at this, this is about 600 years before Christ. God's sovereignty is very present in this story. You know, from the beginning, it talks about God and his role and what he allowed and, and this. And he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to, to be victorious in this. It's, it, it talks about Babylon's strategy. They would come and they would, they would displace people. And they were violent. They're ruthless throughout uh, scripture, they're going to, you know, Babylon, even in the book of Revelation, is going to kind of represent the most vile and violent and, uh, and godless of, of, of values, you know, everything that resists and stands up against God. And, uh, and, and they came and they, you know, killed many. They, they relocated others and then they took some captive. So they reshuffled the people to really weaken their identity. And, uh, and there's one psalm, it's really, it's, it's kind of a, a, a brutal uh, psalm in 137. 
The last few verses capture something from the same era. The psalmist says, I, you know, how can we sing? We've hung up our instruments. We, there's no reason to be happy, no reason to be glad. I wish someone would someday repay Babylon for what they've done to us. I wish someone would take their babies and smash them against rocks. That's in the Bible. Can you imagine the, the violence and, the, and, the, and just the pain that people were experiencing? And in the middle of that, we find a, a letter written by the prophet Jeremiah to people who had been taken captive to uh, the capital of this empire. In Jeremiah 29, he says, hey, don't resent your current season. That might be something you need to hear today as well. Don't resent your current season. Because God has a plan. He has plans for prospering, plans for peace. He is not... Uh, Stop being sovereign. He has not stopped loving you. He will carry out his plan. It won't be in your time. So start growing roots. Get comfortable. Build homes. Have children. Have grandchildren. And bless the season that you are in currently. Even if it's very different from what you had anticipated. Let's keep on reading in verse 3. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. Now, each of these new names that they've been giving actually contains the name of one of the Babylonian gods. And so there's a whole strategy of rebranding, of reformatting, an attack on their identity. And, 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 they're, and they're being lured into losing their roots, losing their heritage, losing their identity, and embracing a new way of, of life, new values. Now... This is, it's important for us to see here, you know, you look at your bulletin, this is kind of our first point, discover purpose in a hijacked destiny. Oftentimes, we will end up living something very different than what we had anticipated. Talked to someone uh, earlier today who went through an accident, automobile accident, and uh, his recovery has taken years, and that's not what he had anticipated. You know, it could be someone whose kids have made decisions that are very different than what they had raised them up, the values that they had tried to, to instill into them. It could be your marriage is at a very different place than what you had anticipated. The honeymoon seems so far removed. It seems like someone else's story. It could be your business that you own is facing critical moments of, of, of trimming, of pruning, and, and you just don't know if you're going to make it. It could be that you're working in an environment where leadership has changed, and you don't know if, 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 if you're going to have a job a month from now. It seems like your hijacked uh, destiny is leading you away from hope. But the reality is that God has purpose for you. Don't 
try to find a way to get out of it. Try to listen to God so he will let you know what to do within it. Find purpose within your current season. How many say amen to that? When all seems lost, remember God's sovereignty. Like we said earlier, God's love cannot be gauged by our current comfort. Romans 8.28, we all know this really well. It says that we know that, when, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Amen. Favorite verse. A couple verses later on, in 38, says, I am convinced that neither... That nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither fear, our fears for today or nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We know that all things will work together for good, but there will be moments of a lot of difficulty and confusion and huge question marks that will follow us around. And at those times, remember God's sovereignty. Remember his love. Nothing can separate you from his love. Now Daniel and his friends are facing an incredible pressure to conform to, to be renamed, rebranded, reformatted. There's an attack on their identity. Like we said, the other princes that have been taken captive are probably feeling like the only way they can survive is if they play an assimilation game. If they learn the culture quick, then they can get promoted. Then they can escape the fear of, of being uh, killed. And, and Daniel and his friends have to decide, what are we going to do? They can't control the circumstance, but they can definitely control their attitude. Amen? And they, they need to figure out, what is God's plan within this? What is God's purpose within this? And you know what? They, we aren't in Babylon to survive or blend in. We're meant to stand out and bring hope. We're meant to thrive when we're in Babylon. We learn through the book of Daniel the example of life, uh, humility, of wisdom, of integrity, of hope. And we learn that Daniel didn't get stuck in resenting uh, the cards he was dealt. He didn't get stuck frustrated and, 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 and angry at God. He quickly said, okay, God, what is your purpose in the midst of all this? What do you want to do? The same sun that melts butter hardens the clay, right? It rains on the just and on the unjust. It, the sun comes out on, on the just and on the unjust. So the circumstance, it, you know, you're not going to be able to maneuver or control that or dictate it, but we can all decide what's going to go on in our hearts and how we respond to that. Now, Daniel uh, in, in verse 8, let's keep on reading. Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission to not eat uh, these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of the Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and then thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. 
Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. See what happened here? Daniel defined his heart's loyalty. Can't control the circumstance, but he can control how his heart is going to respond to what's going on. And it starts out, verse 8 says, Daniel determined. He decided. He became resolute on how he was going to respond to the challenges he was facing. As we talk about appetites and obligations, you know, we live, in, 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 we, we live more in the reality of the pressures of the palace than we do in the reality of that one, Psalm 137, you know, and the suffering and the violence against us. We live more in, 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 in the pressure of being numbed and, and kind of the frog in the kettle boiled slowly, right? Where we, we lose track of, of, of our values as we grow comfortable and as we grow uh, distracted by, by the world around us. And Daniel was determined that he would not let appetites become obligations. I love what Pastor Nate said this past week as we were praying and, and preparing for this message. He said, our appetites will reveal where our obligations lay. Now, the king of Babylon, he was astute. He was smart. He was trying to get them used to uh, this commodity. You know, commodity once tasted becomes a necessity. He's like, hey, have some palace food. Have some palace drink. And all of a sudden, they become uh, just accustomed to it and hooked to that. And all of a sudden, he ends up having them as slaves. And he owns them because they bit that bait and they belong to him. The appetites of our life will end up leading us to what will own us. You know, who owns us right now? Who owns our time? Who owns our decisions? Who owns the loyalty of our hearts? When we lose certain things in life, we get irritable. The AC on my car uh, broke yesterday, of all days. Couldn't it break like in November or something? No, it's got to be on like the one day that it's super hot. It feels like Arizona, Minnesota. It doesn't have, it's like every 10 years, right? But we've become used to, accustomed to uh, these, these, these comforts. And, uh, you know, we, we live surrounded in a culture that pressures for, for our heart and tries to conform its values. You know, what do we do for fun? You know, it's, it's, there's all these different things that are thrown at us, options, and by any means, I'm not against us uh, enjoying fun and doing things together. And, you know, my, my family's always looking for excuses to celebrate. But if those appetites become obligations that then eclipse our loyalty towards God, then Babylon has, has, has taken our identity and it's, and it's accomplished its purpose. Do I own my new car or does my car own me? Do I own my boat or does my boat own me? Do I own the cabin or does the cabin own me? Do I, am I signed up for sports or do sports own me? You know, and I, and my son's on a soccer, he plays for a soccer club and once in a while we get games scheduled on a Sunday and we got to maneuver and we got to figure out, but I've got to make sure that the loyalty of my family's heart is never compromised. Even if I did pay money and signed up for an activity. Does that make sense? And so we're all faced with moments of definition like this. And, uh, and we need to learn from 
Daniel that what it says in 1 John 2.16, you got the verse on your bulletin, the things of this world, the appetites of this world, it'll all pass away. All these things that consume us are going to end up passing away. What is our response to the world? On one side, we're like, okay, we need to withdraw. We need to bunker up and hide up and fortify the bubble. Don't make eye contact with the world. Or you'll get con contaminated, right? But Jesus said in, in John 15, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. On the other hand, there might be a, a sense of, well, we need to assimilate so we can survive. We need to be so empathetic and so understanding that all of a sudden God's voice seems foreign to us. That's not the right response either. It says in Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And then somewhere in the middle, we learn this example from Daniel, who did not escape the world and he did not embrace it, but he lived in it and found purpose from God in that and lived out uncompromisingly, but very engaged with his environment. And he made a difference, not only in his generation, but we're reading about this thousands of years later. Amen. Now, I want to just make a quick, quick uh, parentheses here. Remember 15 years ago when I came uh, with my wife to Emmanuel, we, we uh, were ministering in the Hispanic ministry, and, 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 and there was a brother that came up and greeted me, and he's like, hey, my name is so-and-so, and how's it going? I want to introduce myself, and I said, great, it's good to meet you. You know, we're happy to be here, and he's like, what do you think about Deuteronomy chapter whatever and verse whatever? And I said, I, I don't have that one memorized. Can I? Can I tell you what I think about John three sixteen? And uh, and he's and he's and I said, Can you just refresh my mind. You know, I, I get that chapter confused with the other one, right? And uh, he says, Well, it says that women should not dress as men and men should not dress as women. And I said, Well, I mean, it makes sense. You know, what God's trying to establish. It's like, and he just interrupted me. He didn't really really care to hear what I had to say. And I said, Well, he says that's why I don't let my wife wear pants. And I said, Okay. And it, you know, obviously, there's we come from so many different environments and contexts and, and formatting and whatnot. And I said, well, okay, I don't let my wife wear my pants either. And, uh, <laughs> and I make her buy women's pants, not men's pants. And so he's like, ah, mumbled and then he left, right? And so um, it was the beginning of a great friendship. And God taught me so much because there's so many different things where there's matters, what Paul calls it as matters of conscience, right? Where, where there's things that are very clearly defined as, as against God's values. And then there's other things that seem to be kind of caught in the gray area. What Paul says, he doesn't sort it out with a list. He says, and you got the text there, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, read it later on. He says, hey, don't let your freedom or your restriction drive a wedge between you and your brother or your sister. Don't, don't judge those who have certain freedoms that you don't share where you have a restriction, and don't belittle the ones that have a restriction where you have a, free, a, a freedom. God really taught me a ton through that, and love needs to be, uh, it needs to go above my personal freedoms and, again, and above my personal restrictions as well. We move from peer pressure, P-E-E-R pressure, did I say three E's? It was two. 
to loving our peers, loving our brothers and sisters around us. So when Daniel's going into this fast, bear in mind, Daniel lives in the same empire where he's restricting himself. I'm not going to touch the king's wine. Same empire that Nehemiah would later be a, a wine taster for the king, where he's got to make sure it's not poisoned. And so there's really, I mean, there needs to be an honest, sincere listening to the, the voice of the Spirit in our own conscience. And, and there needs to be a commitment to, to be together and love each other. How many say amen to that? Amen? So that's, okay, close parentheses. Daniel decides he's not going to withdraw. He's not going to, uh, you know, embrace. He's going to walk in alignment with God's purpose. He's going to walk in tune with what God has asked him to do. He determined, he decided, he was defined and resolute. Who am I going to serve? I'm going to serve God first and foremost. That's why he goes through this, this, uh, this focus through fasting uh, initiative. And, he, and I can imagine him getting his friends together. And he's like, hey, let the games begin. And, uh, and he's, he says, guys, we're going we're gonna to start uh, this, this diet. And we're going to call it the Daniel diet, later known as the Daniel fast. We're just going to drink water and vegetables. And it wasn't about getting our summer bodies back or, you know, or trying to, you know, go and, you know, we're workout buddies at the gym. No, they were, this was about really the, the loyalty of their hearts. And they, it, fasting is not a hunger strike. It's not trying to twist God's arm one or another way. It's, it's about a, a decision to follow God above all else. Even above our rights to the most simple and legitimate appetites in life. Fasting is the discipline of saying no. Everyone practice with me. Say no. Okay. We're used to saying it to other people. Right? But we don't often say it to ourselves. And this is a good time for, you know, letting go of the magnifying glass and holding up a mirror and saying no. Because following Jesus involves self-denial. It involves losing our life so that we can find it. In fasting, we say no to ourselves. Abnegation and self-denial is taking up our cross. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. In fasting, we exercise the discipline of saying yes to God above all other pressures and appetites. I don't know if you practice fasting or not. Jesus takes for granted that we all do. He assumes that in Matthew chapter 6. And he says, he doesn't say, if by accident you skip a meal someday in your life. He says, no, when you fast, this is how you should do it. We want to encourage you. This bulletin is amazing. Okay, look at the center part here. Hey, if you look at the, like the small print, it tells you what you're going to wear the rest of this week. It's got sight. It's like a Swiss Army knife for life destiny. It's just incredible. The center part here is grow in faith, fasting challenge. And uh, what we're going to encourage you to do is during this uh, season of summer, go against the grain, go against, against every uh, impulse that says, hey, this is my God-given right to enjoy and choose a, a period of 10 days where you will practice self-denial. You'll practice fasting. It could be a full fast, no food. could be 
a, a partial fast where you do the same, you know, water and, and, uh, and, and vegetables. Or it could be a, a, a TV, media, entertainment fast for 10 days. And then tell me what happens in the, in the traction of your spiritual life. Because it isn't what it gets God to do, it's what it does in my own life. You know, let's finish up reading what the impact that this had. Daniel 1.15 says, At the end of the ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by king, the king was completed, the chief of staff brought the young men to Neb King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the other magicians and enchanters of the entire kingdom. They decided in their heart that they were going to make God first, their first loyalty. They were going to serve him above all others. And they, through that, find themselves serving God's purposes in this evil empire to bring about change, to bring about hope. They did their part, but God did his part. They, they're not the, the, the main players of this section that we just read. It says that God gave them wisdom. God gave them favor. God gave them grace. And that's the way our story works as well. God is at work. He is writing our story. And we simply respond to what he is doing by walking in alignment with those purposes. I want to encourage you to walk in God's favor. Walk in in God's gifts. Walk the long walk. Don't make it just a, a, a sprint that happens occasionally, sporadically. Make it part of your ongoing life. Step into excellence. Be the best version of yourself by embracing God's purpose for your life. Ten times better because they decided to make God first. Now, I love that the, the, the chapter ends with this verse. It says, Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. This is 70 years later. This wasn't like a 10-day fast. and you know, It fixed everything, and everyone was happy, and they lived happily ever after. No, this is like an ongoing, steady life of humility, of integrity, of trust, of hope of relying on God's sovereignty and keeping his calling and purpose always as a North Star for every decision. And that's the life that God's called us to. As we step into his plans, as we decide to not settle for mediocre, good enough existences, we step into his narrative, his great design and plans and purposes for us. He will lead us into an amazing adventure that we could never, never even imagine. We'll be 10 times better than if we decided to just survive. Amen. At this time, I'm going to invite at all of our three campuses, um, Elk River and Maple Grove, and here at Spring Lake Park, we're going to get ready to respond to God's word. So would you stand with me?